But, uh, you know, that doesn't always come across in in a business-like first interaction or two, you know. When's the last time you laughed out loud? When I laugh, when I laughed out loud, yeah. Oh, every day. <laughs> I I love for humor to be a big part of my life. So I'm always consuming humor in different uh, uh, aspects, and and um, uh, also trying to you know put it out there too. I mean, this this has been actually quite a serious conversation compared to uh, many. <laughs> Uh, that I do, you know, but that's that's just the nature of where where it went. Yeah. Podcast Junkies, episode 87. If you are new to the show, this is the one where we talk to podcasters from all across the land, this land, that land, across the pond, across the sea, uh, people that are just amazing have fantastic personalities are super engaging are funny as all heck and have fantastic podcasts to boot and that for me is the recipe for the type of personality that i want to engage with and that i want to have conversations with so that's why i created this show it's podcast junkies and my name is harry duran i'm the host and every monday Ish, I release a new episode with uh, of a conversation that I had, and uh, this week is no different. I get to speak to Andrew Locke, who had a who has a interview called uh, an interview a um, a video podcast called Help My Business. My brain's scattered for some reason, so bear with me here. We met at uh, a conference, as I am apt to do lately. Uh, in Las Vegas several weeks ago. We met through a mutual friend, uh, Matthew Kimberly, and uh, we started talking podcasting, and he's got a show that he's been doing since 2008. He's originally from the UK. He's a really funny guy, and his show, you really have to check it out. It's really entertaining, and it's actually got me thinking about possibly introducing some video aspects at some point with, with Podcast Junkies or with another podcast for my business, but I really think we're at the cusp of something happening with podcasting where the technology and the bandwidth and the ease of recording video, you know, we're getting to this perfect storm where I think um, you're going to start seeing more and more of them. And and he's been doing it, like I said, since 2008. So he's learned a lot along the way. He's a former BBC cameraman. And you'll hear the story of how he was just immersed in the teachings of Dan Kennedy and Yannick Silver and he was always a student of business, and as a result, um, he was working for a prominent um, celebrity in the UK who eventually moved here, and he kept working with them, but eventually he went on to do his own thing, and, uh, and now he's got a really successful business and a really successful show, and I was just really happy to meet someone who's doing video really, really, really well. The other person that comes to mind is uh, a past guest, Jason Stapleton, who is also um, has a kick-ass uh, program. He was episode 28. You can go check that out. And so um, really fun conversation. I'm always interesting, interested in talking to people from other cultures as well. So he's, he's he tells us a little bit about uh, growing up in the UK and that how his experiences there colored um, where he ended up. 
In case you missed last week's episode, we spoke to Paul Culligan, who is another podcast veteran. I love talking to old school OG podcasters. And Paul is another engaging personality, host of the podcast report. And uh, he, he has some stories as well. He lived in an army base in Germany for eight years. And um, as, as you can imagine, stories that go along with that as well. You can hear about the crazy place, not the crazy place, but the unexpected place where he celebrated his, his uh, prom, which, which I thought was funny. So go check that out. That is episode 86, the one previous to this one. So enjoy my conversation with uh, Andrew and stay tuned at the end of the episode for the retention hashtag and a bit of information about our sponsor, Fancy Hands. Have fun. So, uh, Andrew Locke, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us on Podcast Junkies today. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. And it's only to think we only met <laughs> probably a week ago, was it, right? That's right. It's funny how these things happen, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, so. For the benefit of the listener, we met at uh, a mutual friend's event called the 90, D- 90 Day Year, Todd Herman. Um, and we actually met through Matthew Kimberly. Um, That's right. Yeah. Matthew, another Brit um, who actually lives in Malta now. And I met him at another event where we were both speaking. So do you, is, it, is that something that happens to you? Uh, and we can get, uh, we can touch upon your traveling a little bit later, but it, yeah. is, is that something that happens as a result of now going to conferences and, uh, you know, maybe as a speaker, but also as an attendee that you find that that's really where you get to make connections with people? Very much so. Um, it's interesting because, uh, I'm an introvert (laughs) and, uh, it takes great effort for me to, to sort of talk to people in that kind of setting where, you know, where I don't know them. Um, whereas perhaps an extrovert, um, kind of, you know, enjoys that process. Uh, it really takes an effort for me, but I found that by making that effort and getting outside my comfort zone, good things happen. Like, you know, we, we met and, uh, you know, business is all about relationships, isn't it? You know, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's more about who, you know, rather than what, you know, so, uh, it's, it's definitely, it, it's definitely worth stretching yourself if you are an introvert <laughs> you know if i if i'm at a party and it's just you know just a party uh typically i'll be the one in the corner you know <laughs> talking to the people that i already know <laughs> but i think you've uh, would you agree that you found that some of the best or most interesting uh connections or relationships that uh, happened as a result of you getting out of your your comfort zone oh yeah the effort always pays off for sure and so um, we had we had an interesting conversation when we were introduced because we started talking podcasting, and then you brought up the subject of uh, video podcasts, which I thought was interesting because not a lot of people I know are doing them. I know a couple of friends that are, but I'm I'm constantly thinking about the stat that Rob uh, Walsh of Lipson talks yeah. about on yeah. on his podcast, The Feed, about the top 200 podcasts and only one's right. video. But then you started telling me about your show, and it's called uh, Help My Business, and you've been doing it since 2008. That's right. And I actually did go back and see your very first ones. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some stuff we could talk about there. So for yeah, sure. So for you some, see the, the uh, evolving nature of it. Yeah, you know, my decision to do video 
was based on a couple of reasons. One was that my original background was a, a BBC cameraman and freelance work too. And so that's that was what I knew how to do. And uh, so it, it wasn't complicated as it is for so many people. Um, that was one reason. Another reason was strategically I felt that it would be a way to stand out from the crowd because most podcasts are audio. Um, so, you know, like anything, there's pros and cons. I think Apple doesn't do a good job at all of promoting video podcasts because uh, there's some, um, uh, you know, they, 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 they tend to focus on audio and um, even some apps for the app store don't even allow you to download a video podcast. Yeah. There's one very popular one. I forget the name of it, but overcast. Oh, but that's right. My show doesn't even come up in there because it's only for audio. So, you know, I think, I think that's a real shame because uh, of course, if you have video, then you can listen to the audio anyway, Yeah. you know? So, but you can't do that with audio. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the main thing for me was, uh, one, I knew how to do it, and two, I felt that it was a way to stand out from the crowd because just inherently there's not that many video podcasts by comparison to to audio. Um, but, you know, the, the, the other side of the coin, I think, is to consider is the fact that Apple um, really hasn't advocated video podcasts. So that's something that I've been kind of more aware of as time goes on, and that's why I've adopted other channels in addition to Apple for um, you know, for making people aware that the show is available. Well, the beauty of it is that once you have something in video format, you then have your choice of platforms on, on which to, right. prom to promote it. Yeah. And, yeah, and, that's, that's a good thing. And so did, in the beginning, you started uh, strictly as a video podcast. But since that time, it's now well, 2008. So it's been quite some time that you've been doing it. So have you now begun syndicating that content onto other video platforms? Yeah, it's syndicated on a lot of other platforms. And of course, platforms come and go too. So, you know, if I think back over the years, it's been on platforms like Viddler, um, Blip, um, oh, crumbs, a bunch of other ones that have come and gone too. So, you know, I I just try and sort of keep my ear to the ground as to to what platforms are out there. And, uh, you know, anything that people are using, I want to be on that platform. So so you said, given that you were uh, a cameraman for the BBC, um, you, in some ways that might have made the transition a little bit easier. But it, it's not a direct uh, move to, to be a BBC cameraman and then to go to be a video podcaster. So what was the, can you talk a little no, bit about good, what, what that learning point. curve was so, like? Yeah, it's a good point. Technically, of course, I knew what to do. Um, but, you know, there was this whole journey, which I talk about in in one of the um, episodes. I think it's episode 178 or somewhere around there. Um, it's on the homepage anyway at Help My Business. Or one, it's on the About page, I should say, at helpmybusiness.com. And so I made the move from England to the States in 2003 and um, at that point, I was sort of searching for what I was going to do next because I'd been managing a celebrity in England um, who was 
sort of come to the latter part of his career and he basically wanted to retire and I wanted to do other things. So it was a transitional period and I came across a couple of guys that were kind of heavily into um, teaching business, uh, particularly online. One was Yannick Silva and the other one was more sort of general marketing, Dan Kennedy. And I, I got involved in their trainings and really immersed myself in it. And I realized that they definitely, you know, I resonated with what they taught. A lot of what they taught, I already kind of had think been thinking about myself. And so it, there was an alignment there where I thought, oh, you know, I found my, I found my home as it were. I found my place <laughs> where I belong. And um, through, through a kind of a, a process of studying their materials, I realized that one of the opportunities that I wanted to pursue was creating my own information products and trainings um, for other people to to benefit from. And one of the ways that cropped up that was sort of emerging at that time was video podcast because audio had been going for some years, but um, really this was the infancy of video online because if you remember back then, um, there was video, but it was, if you went to a web page, it would be like a postage stamp size yeah. video and it would be all very kind of jerky. And uh, YouTube wasn't even born at that time. So YouTube came along a year or two later. So that tells you kind of what was going on with video at that point. So it was, it was very emerging, but I realized at that time that, you know what, because video is so powerful in terms of engaging people and also persuading people. I knew that it was would not be a fad. I knew absolutely positively without a doubt that it would be here to stay and it would grow and grow and grow to the point where, you know, video would be everywhere online. And uh, so, you know, I've, I saw, you know what, I think there's, there's a big opportunity here because I know the technical side of how to make good quality video and, and engaging programs too, which is another side of things. You know, there's a lot of video that is boring to watch, um, but that's not going to help anybody if they don't want to watch it. So that, so I knew how to do that, but then there was the, like you said, there was this other side of it, which was, you know, for me to become a presenter, um, that was a big, bold move and uh uh i felt you know what i i i'm passionate about the topic of business and i'd already had a lot of experience because i was already managing a celebrity at this point and so i i knew marketing myself and i knew how to grow a business i'd done that very successfully but i hadn't and i, I had done some live presentations but this was another step so it wasn't like i went straight from being a cameraman to in front of the camera, there was a kind of a transitional period of some years where I started doing some speaking, public speaking and things like that. Uh, but even so, my first efforts in front of the camera are quite crude. <laughs> you know, if I look back at my first episodes. Well, well it's interesting because we, we started off the conversations talking about how you're an introvert. And if anyone were, yeah. were to watch your you yeah. know, your recent episodes, they would they would say there's not an introverted bone in your body. <laughs> no, well, that's, that's an interesting thing, too, because it's one of the things that I've discovered is that um, I am I am and I have to be 
a situational extrovert. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly I was already used to being a situational extrovert when I presented live um, because no one wants to kind of, you know, see an introvert is a deep <laughs> thinker. So, you know, that's not very interesting to watch. On stage, so I, yeah. I just, I, I like any of these skills, it was something that I developed over time. And I, I realized, you know, the, the, the thing that makes an enjoyable presentation is, well, a couple of things. One, um, if you have fun with it, the audience will have fun. Um, also, if you be yourself rather than trying to be someone else, that will resonate with them too, because you'll naturally be more authentic and likable. Um, and also passion and enthusiasm is contagious. So if they see you being really heartfelt, passionate about the topic, then they will resonate with that and, and they will respond to that and they, they will give out energy too. So it really stemmed from my experience with, in public speaking and speaking in front of um, live audiences. So in many ways, doing it in the comfort of my studio where it's just me, you know, it is actually much easier because, you know, there's no pressure. I get to, I get to do multiple takes if I want to. I get to, um, you know, to kind of take my time and redo things if, if I need to. So, yeah, so it, it was definitely a journey. And like I said, the first episodes make me cringe when I watch them now <laughs> uh, because it has been, it has, you know, evolved. And I have, like any skill, I've become better at it. It's like, um, it's what they tell podcasters too. The, the, the best time to start a podcast is yesterday and the second best yep. time is today because there is going to be that right. learning curve and you're not going to like your voice. And in your case, you may yeah. not like how you look on camera to add even more pressure to it. But I can, Im I can only imagine how much you've grown along the way in your, oh, pre in the show and in your presentation. A huge, a huge amount. You know, I've grown in my, in the presentation style and I've also grown in terms of understanding an audience understanding what they want and how they want it. Um, there's a lot of elements that go into it. You know, the, like I said earlier, um, there's many people that know their subject very well, but they just don't present very well. And uh, it is a skill that can be learned. You know, if you look at someone like uh, most people have seen the presentations that Steve Jobs did with Apple, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very distinctive style but it was certainly not accidental you know that was very um it was very you know created it was de it was deliberately strategically put together and um the the result was very good you know for that reason there was a deep understanding of of how to present so one of the biggest things being that um people want to be entertained yeah. You know, there's the most podcasts and most videos online have some type of educational content. You know, if it's if it's designed to be educational, I mean, then it will have the educational component that most part. Most people have that down pretty well. However, the missing ingredient for most presentations, whether it's audio or video, in my experience and perception has been and continues to be that 
most people don't have the entertainment aspect because uh, when you combine those two, education with entertainment, it gives you a very engaging, high level of engagement with, um, with the viewers. So you mentioned you were um, influenced by folks like Dan Kennedy and Yannick Silver. But I wonder on the presentation front, did you learn that from them as well? Or were there other folks that you were listen- watching in this space as you were entering? Many people, um, you know, again, working with this celebrity in England, that was kind of my fundamental um, mentorship and, and um, you know, being immersed in that environment because he had a very, very popular, he presented a very popular show on the BBC for about 15 years. The closest I would compare it to is someone like Jimmy Fallon today. Okay. So it was an entertainment show. And it was extremely, extremely popular. It was the biggest show at the time. And I learned an immense amount about the nuances of creating content that people want, uh, that, that, you know, that they resonate with through working with this celebrity and working on that show. You know, one of the things that he innovated among many things that he innovated was, um, Prior to his show being popular on the BBC, um, most, actually every show on the BBC and the other channels actually, because remember in England we only had, when I grew up there were three channels. (laughs) There was BBC One, BBC Two and ITV, Independent Television. That was it. Yeah. Um, Over the years they expanded to five channels and then of course cable and satellite came in. But when I grew up it was... It was three channels. So, you know, we had enormous viewing figures for those three channels because that's all there was. Um, But every show started with some kind of title sequence, which would usually run about 30 seconds. And then the show would introduce or the, you know, the presenter would come on screen. Well, um, Paul, the, the guy who I managed, realized that, when those opening credits came on the screen, that was an opportunity for people to kind of flip through the channels because there was no compelling reason to watch. And so one of the things that he innovated, which actually has gone around the world since he innovated it, was he started his show with him on camera doing some little kind of magic trick, very close up, and it would immediately grab people's attention and then, you know, when he did the big kind of reveal, then it would go into the opening credits. And so it would hook people in and then they would stay watching. And, you know, that that's an example of something that I adopted very strategically in my show. So, you know, my first words are in every episode coming up in this episode. And I talk about what what's, you know, what's going to be in the show. And then I have the opening sequence, just like a TV show. But the difference with my opening sequence is it's much shorter. Over the years, opening sequences, opening animations and title sequences have become shorter on TV. But online, with a lot of people having a lower attention span, I think that will change and it is changing over time. But right now, it's lower compared to watching a traditional TV show. I made sure that my opening sequence is a lot shorter. So it's about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, very, so I, I pull people in with what's coming up in the episode, very short establishing sequence for the, for the title of the show. And then I'm straight into the content. So there's a lot of things like that. You know, there's every, every aspect of the show has been carefully thought out to maximize engagement and to make it also entertaining and fun for the for the viewer to watch. So, you know, a lot goes into it that most people wouldn't um, consciously be aware of. But, you know, for all these things are for good reason. And that comes from the benefit of having done the show for so many years. You get feedback on what works and what doesn't and what resonates with your audience, right? Right. Yeah. There's a, it's a, like I said earlier, it's a process of continual evolution. I also don't want it to become stale. So when you've been doing a show for eight years, you know, you, you want to continually um, improve it and add things and, you know, make sure that the viewers are surprised and delighted rather than um, just delivering exactly what they expect, because that can quickly become mundane. It's, I would imagine it's a fine line, because if they continue to come back to watch your show, there's an aspect of you, your personality, your content that they, they want to see week in and week out. But then to your point, you have to slightly, you know, keep them off balance. So they, yep. they don't know exactly what they're, you know, 90% is going to be consistent, Andrew, but then he might have a different hat on this. this it is, that's a very good point. It is, um, it is a fine line. A couple of examples of things that have evolved. One was originally the show was when it first launched for the first uh, five or six years, I think it was called Help My Business Sucks. And, you know, of course, that was a very quirky name and it was a good name to begin with because it definitely caught people's attention. It's very fun and quirky. And as soon as someone would hear that name, they immediately got the sense that, hey, you know, this is this is a fun show. This is quirky. This is something a little unusual. And it also says exactly, you know, what the show is about. But I found over the years of developing and evolving the show that um, it was tending to attract um, a, a proportion of the audience were people that I didn't want to attract into my business because it is a business after all. And they are the, the people that are either complete beginners or people that, you know, where they really are struggling because neither of those types of individuals are the ones that I actually serve. The, the show has always been designed around presenting more advanced, intermediate and advanced business building methods for someone who already has a business, mm -hmm. who has had some level of success that wants to take it to the next level. Those are the people that I wanted to work with, that do want to work with, and those are the people that I enjoy working with. So that was one change that I made. Another change that I made was for the first few years, uh, to go with the kind of quirky style, I wore a T-shirt every, my, you know, my wardrobe, as it were, was a T-shirt with a different slogan on it. So for the first over 100 episodes, um, every, you know, every episode had a different T-shirt on it. So, uh, you know, which was fun, but I evolved past that. And uh, I also ran out of ideas for <laughs> slogans on the T-shirts. And, um, you know, I felt that it was time to move on to a different look, you know, just as fashion changes, 
uh, the, the same thing applied here. You know, I felt like that it served its purpose and it was time to move on. So I, I moved on to a more of a kind of a casual shirt. And now I actually wear a suit Yeah. Um, because the show is now modeled after the style of the daily show with, uh, or what was with John Stewart. Sure. And uh, those types of shows, the presenters wear suits. And so, you know, suit and tie. And so that's, that's, you know, a natural decision that came about as a result of me having a deep understanding of where I wanted to take the show. The, the UK obviously has a, a very rich history uh, with, with TV and, and even with comedy. And I'm wondering if there were some influences that you had growing up from TV that you watched that, you know, although maybe you don't copy yeah. them directly or, are inspiring you in some way. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so I grew up watching this guy that I ended up manage, managing and he was, he, he used a lot of comedy, um, in his performance, um, very, very fun, very playful. Uh, there was a comedian also by the name of Tommy Cooper, um, who was, uh, extremely well loved in England. And so, yeah, for sure there were influences like that where, they shaped who I wanted to be. Uh, but at the same time, the, the guy who I managed gave me some very important advice. Um, when he, you know, when I started doing the show and he said, make sure that you are true to who you are. Hmm. And he said, be very careful not to fall into the trap of imitating or copying someone else because you'll always be a poor copy of them and it will always be obvious that that's what you're trying to do. So he said, you know, you are a unique individual. You are the best one of you there is. So while it's fine to have influences, I do believe, and this is what I teach others too, is you should develop your own style and it will develop, you know, it doesn't come, um, automatically it it takes you know it takes time actually you know like certain catchphrases that i have on the show now um have come about through me just doing the show so often and and the viewers get to know these little catchphrases uh which is a cool thing you know because they repeat them back to you when when (laughs) when they see you live and meet you and that kind of thing so yeah it's that i think ultimately although i was influenced for sure you know, you you naturally are, whether you like it or not, you're going to be influenced. I also was very conscious of the fact of it's important to develop your own personality and style that is unique to you. Have you done any live versions of the show? I haven't. Um, well, actually, I have done a couple of live episodes where I had a studio audience, um, which was actually enormous fun because uh, because a lot of it is humor based to get the live reaction is phenomenal, you know, and you, you really feed off of them. I can see why comedians do what they do because yeah. it's, it's really an amazing thing to get an instant reaction when you, you know, when you tell jokes and so on. Um, I have actually done, I've done live recorded shows too, where I've actually taken the show to different places. Like I've done one at Disney world. I've done one, um, on the road in Australia, I've done one from a cruise ship um, and a whole bunch of other places. But those were uh, live 
recorded shows. But yeah, actually, the I'd forgotten that I'd done them, but I've done a couple of episodes, like I said, with, with an with a studio audience, and that was great fun. The only reason, honestly, that I haven't continued to do that is because one of the things I love in this profession is that I have complete flexibility as to when and how I record the show. And so uh, that flexibility to me trumps having a studio audience um, because, you know, I can schedule recording a show whenever it's convenient to me. Uh, whereas if I was doing it with an audience, that that needs to be planned. You know, that takes time to, uh, you know, and obviously some effort to, to make that happen. But yeah, it was it was an enormous delight to do the live shows. Where did the uh, the the in studio guests come from? Were they fans of the show that that came in? Um, actually, it was it was a couple of years ago, and it was uh, uh, two of my mastermind groups that just happened to kind of um, uh, we don't do this now, but they happened to cross paths at the same time. So there was actually about forty people in town at the same time and you know the it was like the perfect storm mm. and then it was that that you know that realization i thought oh actually that would be really cool to to record some episodes and so and they they loved it you know it was really fun and uh, you can see those episodes i forget the number but they're probably around um around 120 ish mark something like that yeah look, we, but, you can give them to me later and i'll put them in the yeah, show yeah it was it was a lot of fun to do it really was so, uh, tell me a, a little bit for the for the listeners who are not as familiar with the the entrepreneurial culture in the UK. Is is that something that's very prevalent? Um, maybe now, but in the when when you were getting started, I know that here it's a, it's a big deal with entrepreneurs and this culture and all these people that you can listen and follow and and you know yeah. the, the motivational folks like Tony Robbins and yeah. and and I wonder is is that something that did, did not exist in the UK in the past and it's just now coming up or, or there was always some some aspect of that when when, when you were coming up and yeah, getting in, it, involved in a scene? It definitely existed, but I would say the UK has always been a little behind the States in terms of those things. Um, you know, what we see happen in the States, I think typically will go to um, find its way to the UK and uh, Australia and other English speaking countries um, a year or two after it's happened in the States. Um, you know, when I, when I was growing up, you know, it was mostly pre-internet. Uh, so that of course changed a lot of things. So the way that you would hear about these things would be very different. You know, typically it was more uh, direct mail offers mm. or sometimes TV commercials so although people like Tony Robbins and, and other business trainers would come to England and do presentations and so on, it was much more difficult to hear about them. And that really wasn't, um, you know, that wasn't really a world that I was familiar with at that time. So, I, you know, I was sort of, you know, looking back, I'm aware that it was going on, but most of my entrepreneurial journey happened after I'd moved to the States. Uh, but it's, it's been my observation, you know, in terms of what I mentioned earlier about 
England being a little behind. I think fundamentally there's cultural differences too. I think that um, my perception has been that the States is a far more friendly environment to entrepreneurs. It's much more encouraging. For some reason, uh, the British mentality as a generalization is a little bit critical of people that have had a lot of success in business. Mm. I don't know why that is, but uh, it tends to be that way, particularly in the media. They tend to be critical of, um, of, of that. Whereas, you know, there's, there's more kind of, uh, encouragement, I think for entrepreneurs in the States, that's, that's definitely been my observation and experience. Uh, but there is still a good entrepreneurial climate in England. Um, there's, you know, Brit- British people tend to be quite understated. So they don't, you know, they don't blow their trumpet, as it were, in anywhere near uh, the way that you will find most Americans do, which I think is, again, an interesting observation. That's just a cultural difference. Um, you know, the the British... Um, way is to be quite reserved and to be you know it's it's definitely not to boast uh one of the things that i've had to learn to do since being in the states is to be more um um what's the word a bit more outspoken or yeah a bit more outspoken about my skills and achievements uh whereas i wouldn't do that in england because it's not viewed in the same way, it's kind of, it's a bit frowned upon culturally to do that. Like, like almost like you're being a bit arrogant, but actually Americans want to hear that. They want to, um, you know, if you've made achievements, they want to hear about it. It's, they don't view it in a negative way. They, they're they're like, Oh, that's great. You know, well done. Cool. (laughs) Um, so that's, that's, of course I'm speaking gen, these are generalizations. Uh, but I've definitely found that to be, the case. So it is interesting. So I, I have had to adapt to the American audience because most of my viewers and customers are now from the States, including Canada. And so that's who I'm, that's who I'm uh, targeting. But, you know, one other cool thing about that is that it's actually easier for me to, to do that, to be, to stand out in this marketplace because I'm from England, you yeah. know, it's a lot harder to be a celebrity in your own backyard. You know, you may have heard that kind of expression. And it's true. Yes, yeah, I do stand out more naturally because I'm from England and because I have a different accent and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. So I've, I've definitely become aware of that and I, I do use it. I, I leverage that, you know. Did you... Uh- have hopes of being a, a BBC cameraman when you were when you were in school? Yeah, um, I I definitely felt that that was the course that I wanted to pursue because I was so interested in the technology. You know, I was I was working with cameras even when I was at school, and so I, I knew I knew that was what I wanted to do. Uh, but at the same time, it's probably important to state that. I was also an entrepreneur, you know, I was, I loved, um, you know, making money on my own. I loved, uh, the business studies classes at school. I came top of the year in business studies. And so there was definitely a sort of a parallel path that was happening on the one hand, 
I was very interested in the technology and I loved this world of making videos and TV productions. But at the same time, I was always an entrepreneur. I was always fascinated by different ways to make money. And I was always keen to um, do things where I would be in control of my own business. So, you know, although I was doing a lot of work for the BBC, I also worked for other production companies. It wasn't exclusive. And effectively, I was my own boss. So I, I had kind of dabbled with employment. But like most entrepreneurs, I quickly found that I was pretty much unemployable <laughs> because I just fundamentally would disagree with the business owner's decisions. I, I felt like I knew better. You know, of course, I was young at the time. So, you know, I wasn't always right. But sometimes I was. And I would just get so frustrated at some of the silly decisions that were being made. And also, honestly, the way that most employees that I was working with were pretty lazy. And, um, you know, I'm a hard worker, but I want to be rewarded for my hard work. Mm -hmm. And employment isn't the way to do that in most cases. Uh, you know, I mean, many companies have some kind of career ladder, but it's not always done very fairly. So taking matters into your own hands is is the only surefire way that you can control your own destiny. So I realized that fairly early on. And um, that's why I had these two kind of parallel paths that that existed along along the journey of my um, my work. Would you say that your parents supported you in your endeavors? They were very supportive. I'm, I feel very happy to have come from a quite a stable background family-wise. A lot of people I know struggle through all kinds of different scenarios. I had a very stable family life and my parents were very encouraging. Um, neither of them were entrepreneurs and so they they did kind of find it a little difficult to understand what I was doing, but they were supportive. And I really appreciate that uh, because I, I think it makes a big difference. You know, I think that especially when you're younger, because, you know, we in England, we leave school when we're 16. Mm -hmm. And uh, those those kind of informative years, everybody's very impressionable. And you shape a lot of your views about the world and about business during that time. And that's that's why I am very grateful for my parents being encouraging and saying, you know, whatever you want to do, if you believe that you can do it, then you can do it and we'll support you. That absolutely, I'm convinced, had a very, very positive impact on me. Besides your parents, was there a relationship with another teacher that uh, that you recall fondly? Yeah, Um Certainly at school, there were a couple of teachers who took an interest in the fact that I was taking an interest in their classes. Um, the foremost one, of, um, you know, probably no surprise, but it was business studies because uh, I felt like, you know, be, again, being that kind of thinking introvert, I was very analytical at school and there were plenty of subjects where I, I would think to myself, I honestly don't see the connection between why we're doing this and real world. And to this day, I still feel the same way. But business studies was the standout one because everything that we were taught in that class had an absolute direct correlation with living 
your life um, and, and also building a business. And um, many of the skills that I learned in that class, I used to that day. It was extremely practical. And for that reason, I loved it. I was, you know, I poured my heart and soul into that class because I could immediately see, being a very logical person, the benefits of what I was learning. And so there were, you know, I think it's just a natural thing that you would expect to happen. You know, the teachers saw that I loved it, saw that mm-hmm. I was passionate about it. And so they continued to, you know, want to mentor me. And uh, yeah, it was a really good thing. And, you know, I it's something I'm passionate about today. I, I'm always looking for people to mentor and anybody that displays the right um, attitude to me and that asks for my help, I will always help them because, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's a way that I can give back. I feel like it's kind of a way of paying it forward because I realize that those, you know, the ones that did it for me, it, it made a profound impact on me. So it doesn't matter where someone's in or it doesn't matter where someone is in their life uh, for me financially or any other circumstances in their life. Just fundamentally, if they are passionate and willing to work hard, willing to put in the effort, willing to follow my direction, I'll happily help them, you know, as much as I possibly can with my time and, uh, you know, other support. And I, I do that and I great, get great satisfaction from it, you know, for that reason. So it's, uh, the, the, what irritates me is, um, people that ask for that kind of help, but then just don't do anything or that complain. And, uh, you know, there's a difference between some people have good reason for negative mental thoughts because of perhaps, you know, the way that they were treated when they were growing up and so on. But, you know, that's very, it's very easy to establish what the reasons are. And if someone's just a negative person and, you know, a complainer and, and or always questioning what you're asking them to do, it's very difficult to work with that type of people because they drain energy from you rather than giving you energy. So, you know, I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's something that I'm passionate about is paying, paying it forward. Yeah, I get the sense, you know, from the conversation we had in person and, and from the way you're describing the, um, the pleasure you get in helping someone move from a position where they didn't know a lot about a specific issue related to business or being an entrepreneur. And because of your experience, you're more than happy to help them, assuming they're willing to meet you halfway. Is that something that you, you just remember if just going back to when you were growing up? Is that something that you were taught or is that just inherent in your nature? I do believe that, um, you know, it, well, for one thing, it brings me um, happiness. You know, it makes me happy to see uh, others that I can help others in that way, just as others helped me. Um, and I, I think another aspect of it too, is the fact that to see someone's life changing as a result of um, implementing, you know, just really supporting them or giving them strategies that, you know, work uh, knowing the fact that it can and will change someone's life is a very powerful thing. You know, I've I've been 
at both ends of the spectrum. You know, I've in the past, I've been in circumstances where I've been broke. I mean, you know, not I, I, I didn't come from a wealthy background. I came from um, middle class family background. And, uh, uh, you know, everyone around me was of that same type of background. Um, but when I started to become successful financially, you know, I realized that it's absolutely not about who works the hardest. That's for sure. You know, because there's many, many people that work way harder than I do that are earning a fraction of what I do. So having that realization that if someone has the right mindset to begin with and is willing to learn, but they just are struggling to find the right path for themselves to take, I get great satisfaction from helping them because I know that it's going to make a big difference in their life. And I know that, um, you know, and I know that they're going to do it too, because it's, it's extremely frustrating to know that someone can change their life, but to see them not willing to do it or having some other barriers, whether mentally or emotionally or, you know, whatever else it is that stops them being successful. That is extremely frustrating because, you know, you want to get hold of the person and shake them and say, <laughs> come on, you know, you're so, you're so close to having the, the freedom that you obviously want. But, uh, you know, it's the old, old saying is you, you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I think it sounds, so, like, it sounds like part of the frustration stems from the fact that you, you can see something in them in terms of what they're capable of if they would just, you know, go that extra mile or apply themselves a little bit more. And I think maybe is that what's frustrating yeah, I, you that you know what they're, what they're capable of? I can see, um, I'm not, you know, discernment is not one of my best qualities. It's something that I, I am constantly trying to develop. There are a lot of people that are way more discerning than I am, but I can typically discern whether someone has the raw skills and abilities to make something, you know, to, to be successful in business. What I can't discern usually is the emotional and mental blocks that many people have. Um, unless I really kind of get into that deeply with them and often there isn't the circumstances or time to do that. Um, and, and I think that is, that's fundamentally the frustration when that happens is, um, you know, perhaps the realization for me of, uh, you know, when we get to that point, cause I see them not taking action or not implementing, you know, the frustration of, Oh, you know, you're so close, but you mm. have to get past these mental and emotional issues first. And sometimes I'll point people to resources, but again, they have to be willing to first of all, accept that they need help and also, secondly, be willing to actually accept the help and take action to, uh, you know, to, to make these changes. You know, I've, I've got a good friend um, locally who uh, came uh, from a very, very bad background. He, um, he was uh, um, uh, abused as a child, you know, in an environment where his um, parents were heavy drinkers he was physically abused. 
Um, you know, they were doing drugs and all the rest of it. Terrible family environment. Eventually, um, he was put out for adoption hmm. and, uh, he was adopted and, you know, he ended up in a nice environment, but, but by this time he was, uh, in his mid teens. So most of the early shaping of his life had happened. But the interesting thing about him was that for whatever reason, and, you know, I don't, I don't begin to understand what the difference is, but for whatever reason, he made a conscious decision that whatever happened to him in the past wasn't going to dictate his future. And so he started uh, changing his mindset. He started consuming a lot of positive information that changed his mental view of things. Also realizing that just because he had that circumstances, it doesn't mean that everybody is like that. You know, getting getting past these belief systems that were actually quite ingrained at that point. And um, ultimately, you know, the guy's now in his 40s. Uh, he became uh, a top executive. Uh, I won't name the company, but a very famous software company um, where he's in a very high level position, high level executive uh, with great having achieved great success. So. You know, people can change. People can, even with the worst circumstances, they can change. But fundamentally, what I've realized is it can only come from themselves. You know, you can support them, you can nurture them, but they have to have this mental adjustment that goes on in order for them to be successful. And only they can trigger that mental adjustment. You know, there's nothing anybody can do to force it from the outside. It has to come from from within. But if they do that and if they make that adjustment and there's work involved, of course, the sky's the limit because they are right. You know, that that what what my friend realized is absolutely right, that the past doesn't dictate the future. Mm -hmm. The past is the past. The future is an open book. You have the ability to write what's going to happen in your future. You have the ability to go wherever you want it to go. It's entirely within your power. But but sadly, many people feel so, um, you know, so broken that they feel as if everything is already mapped out for them, that it's almost like destiny. Well, I'm just destined for this life which absolutely isn't true, mm -hmm. but that sadly is the way that, that, you know, that's the way that it often happens. I imagine people like that have uh, the best success when they do apply themselves because they've almost demonstrated that they have the internal fortitude to make it over um, an upbringing that wasn't ideal um, and, and they have that spark. And so once they, they've they demonstrated to themselves that they can be successful in, in, you know, smaller tasks and that they get bigger and bigger in bigger endeavors. I think to your, to your point, your friend is now a successful executive at a company. And I, I think, you know, what, what part of what def, he, was in his past, he didn't let define him and which was really important. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think the contrast between where they were and where they are and where they know they can be is so great that actually that's inherently a very huge driving force for them. It's, it's almost like 
proving to themselves or proving to um, the people that damaged them in the past, look, you know, I can overcome this. And I, in some cases, it's actually proving to them, look, I, I'm not the useless person that you claimed I was. Mm -hmm. You know, there's many different things that drive people, but that type of environment actually can be an enormously powerful driving force. You know, it's like the, um, the, the very, the great book, um, start with why Simon Sinek, you know, in any business endeavor, it's, it's your reason why you're doing it that is always going to be the, the biggest driving force. And so for people that have been in those bad situations, that often is one of their biggest driving forces. It's a huge motivator to say, you know, excuse my language, but screw you. Yeah. You know, look, all of that bad stuff that happened to me and all the, all those accusations that you made and all those ways that you criticize me absolutely weren't true. You're the liar. Look at, look at what I've achieved. Yeah. And it's pretty powerful when you can, when you can, you know, demonstrate that you've come to that realization on your own and you've decided that that's an, that's like the next step that you want to take in your future. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's pretty <laughs> powerful stuff. Um, what have you changed your mind about recently? Oh, what a good question. What have I changed my mind about? Hmm. Let me think about this. I think one of the things that I've changed my mind about, and it's partly through my continuing journey, is that there was a time when I felt like I could, I had the ability to learn any skills that were needed in business. And while I still believe that's true, what I've changed my mind about is that not only should I, not only the fact that I shouldn't be doing that, but also taking it a stage further, the best way to grow my business at this point is for me to act like a CEO mm -hmm. rather than um, the person that's actually doing everything. In fact, I've got a quote up on my wall behind me that says, focus on the what and the who, not the how. Yep. And that kind of guides me now at this point. So that's something that I've changed my mind about um, because, like I said, I've always believed that anybody can learn any skill, you know, any, any kind of, you know, normal um, person with an average you know, ability, if they put their mind to it, they can learn any skill. I do believe that. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. And now, you know, so there are still things that I actively functionally do in my business. But what I'm what I've changed my mind about and I'm getting away from is actually it shouldn't be me that does those things. I should have a team that I delegate those things to because my biggest strength is the high-level strategy, understanding the whole business, knowing what needs to be done, and then not focusing on how it's going to be done, but focusing on who is the person that's going to do this. So what I've been trying to do is surround myself with a team of experts who are better, much better 
at doing all of these different roles than I could ever be, to, even if, with a lifetime of practice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since doing that, it's, it's really made a, a huge impact in my business. Uh, now, I would say that as a clarifying, it is part of the natural evolution. I don't think that someone could just start a business and immediately do that because I think you have to have some understanding of different roles in a business to sort of lay the groundwork as it were. But I do believe that, you know, the natural next step should be to become a CEO, you know, for one of a better expression, to be the one that governs what happens and who does it rather than actually doing it themselves. Yeah. It's something I've definitely come to the relate. I've come to that realization as well with, that, with my own business. It's what my coach calls uh, focusing on your genius. Yeah, so, yeah, so your core core strengths. It's it's what uh, strategic profits, um, strategic coach, I should say. That's what they teach is yeah. um, leveraging your core. You know, what are you better at than anybody else? Exactly. That's what you should be focusing on. I couldn't agree with more with you more. Um, what's the one most misunderstood thing about you <laughs> um i think in my dealings with people i think that a lot of people who don't know me who just have kind of a surface interaction uh can feel that i come across a little harsh maybe a little uh simon cow like <laughs> but um some some people um I've actually said they find me intimidating, which actually makes me laugh. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's born of the fact that, number one, I am an introvert. Um, and and so most of my processes are internal rather than external. And I, I think extroverts can often express things, um, you know, differently. Uh, so I, I think that's that's a, a misunderstanding uh, because actually I love, I do love people and I, I'm, I'm very passionate about helping them, but I'm also very honest. And I, I want, if, if, if someone's, you know, genuinely interested in, um, getting advice, I, I don't want to lead them down a path that isn't going to help them. Sounds like, uh, you're also willing to give people the benefit of the, of the doubt. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I try to, I try to, to, treat people as I want to be treated. And, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, just to your question, I think that's probably one of the ways that, that I misunderstood is, uh, and, and I think everybody that does develop a relationship with me, they, they quickly get to understand who the, who the true person is inside me. And, you know, I'm actually quite, um, in some ways I'm quite shy and in, in some ways I'm quite, um, uh, you know, I have a, a very soft heart, actually. But, uh, you know, that doesn't always come across in, in a business-like yeah. uh, first interaction or two, you know. When's the last time you laughed out loud? When I, la- when I laughed out loud? Yeah. Oh, every day. <laughs> I, I love for humor to be a big part of my life. So I'm always consuming humor in different uh uh, aspects and, and, um, uh, also trying to, you know, put it out there too. I mean, this, this has been actually quite a serious conversation compared to uh, many, 
uh, that I do, you know, but that's, that's the, the nature of where, where it went. Yeah. But um, humor is a big part of my life. Yeah, I'd love to laugh. What, uh, what, what's something funny you, you consumed recently that you could share with us? Oh, I actually went to a Brian Regan concert. I don't know if you know, oh, I've heard of him. He's a comedian, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like him because um, I like clean humor. I'm not a big fan of comedians swearing a lot. I think that's kind of lazy in terms of humor. Uh, and so Brian Regan, I think, is extremely clever. I love the self-deprecating style that he has. And so I went to see him locally in a concert. Actually, it was a big arena show, all new material, and uh, it was just phenomenal. And tr- interestingly, too, he wasn't afraid to go down a couple of uh, quite controversial paths, which which I was I found quite fascinating. One was he talked about the elections right now, and yeah. of course, you know, political candidates in, of course, in a very humorous way. But the other one was um, he talked about guns, which hmm. is a very polarizing issue, and uh, it's one that I, you know, I don't get involved with because it's it's still kind of foreign to me coming from England where we don't have guns anyway. I st- I'm still kind of understanding it. But the the fact that he addressed those two subjects, I found quite fascinating that he was willing to, uh, uh, to sort of take those head on. And um, he wasn't, he wasn't devised, he wasn't divisive with the audience, but he also didn't shy away from topics that, uh, that are quite polarizing. It's a it's a unique skill for a comedian yeah. to be able to do that, entertain Absolutely. people, and and still inject a bit of social commentary. I think uh, yeah. some some of the best ones do that very well. So uh, so well, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the the time to uh, go in a little bit deeper and let 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 the listeners know a little bit more about you. Uh, I'm not sure if if that's the conversation <laughs> you had in well, mind. Well, of course, you know, I as you as you uh, had stated up front, we never know what direction it's going to go in. But um, I've really enjoyed it because this, these are sort of topics that I don't normally get to delve into with a, with a typical interview. It's very kind of surface about my show and how I developed the show, but you know, to get into these um, deeper topics is as an introvert. I love that. You know, I love delving deep. Well, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time to come on the show and, and, and for sharing with us. Uh, 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 it's definitely something that I, 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 I don't take lightly. And, you know, when, when guests, um, you know, give me an hour plus of their time, you know, I, I imagine there's, especially someone as busy as yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, very, very appreciative. So, so thanks, Andrew. So, uh, what's the, the best place for folks to track you down online? Well, the hub of my activities is helpmybusiness.com. And that's where uh, everybody can watch the show uh, for free. Usually there's a new episode every week. Uh, we're up to in the 200s now. And, um, you know, if you, if you, especially if you resonate with British humor, which is very dry, uh, <laughs> then I think you'll enjoy the show. I do appreciate it. it's not everybody's cup of tea. But you'll also learn if you have a business yourself or you're in the throes of starting a business, you're going to learn a lot of practical things about how to grow a business. So it's it's humorous, but it also has a lot of substance to it and it's very practical. So thanks for asking. Yeah. Helpmybusiness.com. Yeah. And uh, for the listener, I highly recommend you you give uh, some a couple of episodes uh, a try. It is entertaining. <laughs> Andrew definitely uh, takes the time to... Ed- educate and entertain at the same time, which is which is always it's not that easy to do, I imagine. 
It's it's something that we've worked hard at. You know, we've got a couple of writers now that came from the Letterman show. Oh, nice. And um, we put an enormous amount of effort into each episode. So, you know, it, we we believe that we should give our best. And so we do. You know, we uh, the shows aren't um, off the cuff. They're They're very heavily scripted, but in a way that, that hopefully comes across that is very entertaining and uh, that doesn't sound contrived. You know, it's it's playful, it's fun, it is quirky, and uh, definitely has that British humour in there. <laughs> well, I loved in one of the recent ones you took you took the a uh, hundred dollar gold donut and were able to make it turn that into <laughs> a an explanation of how it's okay to charge premium pricing for your products. Yeah, that was that was extraordinary. <laughs> that was that stemmed from a news item where a, a company, or a, I think it was a bakery in New York, was selling a donut, literally a donut, for $100. And so I broke down what they did, how they did it, and I applied that lesson to business owners, of course, with the humorous take on it. But yeah, so I'm always looking out for quirky news stories and things like that, because that's what kind of makes it fun, is when someone watches and their jaw drops like what did he just say you know that kind of thing i love that very good well if uh, for the listeners and for the, it's for the listeners and for the watchers now since it's going to be video i highly recommend you give uh, a couple episodes a try and uh, hopefully that you get some new new uh, new fans thanks harry really appreciate it take care and i hope you have a fantastic day so you see was i wrong was that not entertaining did we where you thought we were going to go you never know with these conversations. Uh, I think it's just a function of paying attention to what the guest is giving you and just feeding off that and just listening intently to where you think um, a follow-up would be in order and, and asking the appropriate question. And so it's just a, something that I, I try to get better at with each individual episode. And um, I hope you enjoyed where this went. I really wanted to learn a little bit more about um, what inspired him and what inspired Andrew and, and like really where that seed for, um, helping people that drive to, to want to, uh, encourage and teach others, um, comes from, I'm I'm really fascinated when I, when I meet people who take a, a real passion or have a real passion for, for educating, um, and making other people's lives better. And that's something that Andrew is definitely doing with, um, with the show and with his business. So I, w- I was really honored to have the opportunity to meet him and get to know him a little bit better. So uh, Podcastica is the network that we are a part of, that I am a part of. If you're new to the show, you may not be aware that we are now a collection of 10 podcasts, The Walking Dead cast, Under the Comic Covers, Podcast Junkies, Radio Film School, Once Upon a Podcast, who just celebrated 100 episodes, congratulations to Amanda and Brittany, uh, Game of Microphones, which I'm going to be paying close attention to now that uh, Game of Thrones is kicking in next week, the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, uh, the One Mind Podcast, uh, the podcast producers, it's our, our newest members, uh, Corey and Jessica Rhodes, and the Evil Dead cast. So we've got, uh, for, for people that are familiar with 
Podcast Junkies, you know that when, when I joined Podcastica, I think there were only six podcasts at the time or maybe seven. So it's been fun to watch the, the network grow and we've got some other uh, shows we're, we're looking at intently. Um, I, I think we're really happy with the family that we have and I hope you get a chance to check it out and try out a new show that uh, you might not have heard of um, and see if it's something that, uh, that strikes your fancy. I know that um, Radio Film School had a recent series on Quentin Tarantino, which is really, really cool. And uh, there was uh, another bonus episode where um, Rem from Sci-Fi Movie Pad- Podcast jumped in and had a nice conversation with Ron Dawson on that. So check those uh, check those folks out, podcastica.com. Our music is composed by in, by uh, by intro and outro. I'm reading this on my <laughs> Evernote, and I was going to say music composed by intro and outro. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check them out at cedarsoil.com. And um, all the information around this episode, a lot of links mentioned by Andrew. You can check it out at uh, podcastjunkies.com slash 87. So please do that. Please support the show. Please engage with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. It's Podcast Junkies, except Twitter, podcast underscore junkies. If you made it this far, you're searching... Searching, searching, searching for the retention hashtag, and we're going to go with um, Locke Live. So it's Andrew Locke is the ho- is was the guest, and given that um, it's not exactly a live show, but it is a video podcast, I thought, uh, and he has got, had a live episode, so I thought it was a nice alliteration, um, if that's the right word, Locke Live, L-O-C-K-L-I-V-E. And uh, his Twitter handle is Andrew Locke, A-N-D-R-E-W-L-O-C-K. So tag him, tag podcast underscore underscore junkies. Uh, I'm tongue twisted today. How are you guys doing? I had two interviews today, so I feel like I'm um, not rambling, but just talking like nonstop without taking a breath. And um, I'm really happy that you're listening right now. I think you should know that. I think you should like, like literally pat yourself on the back because I can't pat you on the back and I can't give you a hug. But if I, if I could, I would. Uh, I love all my listeners. I love the fans that comment on social media. And um, I'm just happy that what I'm doing is, uh, is being enjoyed I would say impacting. I don't know if it's so be so dramatic as to say it's impacting people's lives, but um, uh, I think hopefully at the very least it motivates you. If, if you don't have a show, if if or if you're just a fan of two two human beings engaging on a consistent basis and showing you the the good that's out there, the good things that people are doing, and the cool people that are out there. Um, I hope you're you're meeting new personalities. And I hope as a result, you go listen to their shows. They would, they would really love that. So I think if, um, if you have done that, then, uh, let me know. I'm always looking for feedback. As you might imagine, this is a labor of love and, um, we're always looking for feedback to, to see whether we're on the right track. Um, if something resonated with you, um, I, I encourage you to, to let me know, but also to let, um, the hosts of your other favorite podcasts know. I know I've said this occasionally, but uh, it bears repeating. We love the feedback. We love uh, the the comments, both good and bad. Um, there's always room for us to grow. Um, and if something I said resonated with you, then uh, let me know this week. 
Have a fantastic day, and uh, we will get together pretty soon. What do you say in about a week?